Well, good morning. When uh, Mark Gregson was with us last week, he spoke to a number of uh, parents on, on Sunday night. And uh, one of the things he shared was breathtaking for me was the advancement of information. Uh, for people my age, he said that um, when uh, during my uh, younger years, information would uh, double at a rate of every 16 years. That means the content of information known uh, would double every 16 years. Uh, and he said, right now, because of technology available to us and because of the sophistication of all the research that is taking place, he said technology or information is advancing at a rate of every 11 hours it doubles. Isn't that interesting? And you're contributing it to it, to the information available to us every 11 hours it doubles. Do you know why? It's because you're taking selfies and putting them on Facebook. <laughs> so the information about your life, we're just adding it. Let's see what's going on. And you can find out. Just look at this Facebook and, and just scroll down and you can have all of this information about what happens in someone's life in the last 24 hours. You're doing it, aren't you? And it's, it's advancing so quickly that next year, instead of advancing every 11 hours, doubling every 11 hours, next year it will be every four hours. In 2017, the information out in the world will double every four hours. When we get to 2018, the information out there in the world, known or available to be known, will double every hour. Isn't that amazing? So you're coming in the door here this morning, and uh, you want more information, right? Yeah, sure. And that's what Mark is saying. He says there's, there's so much information out there, there's just this glut of stuff. And um, we, we, have, we know more than we know what to do with. And Mark said in regards to our parenting, it's helpful to know that our children don't want really more information. What they want is, is wisdom. Um, how do I navigate the life? And that comes more often through stories of how we navigated life and mistakes we've made than, let me tell you six things that you really need to know right now. We can either give information or we can train people in wisdom. And Mark said, don't expect people to come through the doors of the church because they want more information. We actually come here this morning because we want guidance for life rather than filled minds. And so that's our intention as we gather together for worship is for us to say, God, what kind of wisdom do you have for me? Because I want to know how to make my life work better. And we're trying to sharpen that up. We're trying to sharpen a number of things up here at church, and that's one of them, and you'll see that this was on your seat when you came in here, and you can look at, there are some notes here, we would encourage you to take, and there's a perforation on it, we'll talk about the information on the bottom later on, but for you and for me, we just want you to um, write anything you feel like you need to um, that's coming across, and my guess is that the thing you need isn't to have more information about everything that's in the text we're looking at this morning. But God, what are you going to do to help me navigate my life? And so you'll see on the back, 
my next step. And we, when we get to the end of our time together, looking at Mark chapter 10 this morning, I'm going to ask you to say, okay, what is your next step? And it's not a list of bullet points. Here are the new things I know. Our goal would be is, this is what I think my next wise, practical step is as I move forward. Life change comes through understanding. And that word for understanding in the uh, original language is actually to stand under it. It's not that I, I know it up here, but actually I stand under it and it guides me along the way. So our objective here is for each one of us to leave wiser. How was that? And you say at the end of it, well, am I leaving any wiser? And you know what I will say to you? Well, I don't know. I don't. It depends on what happens with it. That's God's objective for us. And that's why we spend this time in worship and focusing on Christ because we will need him uh, to help us to navigate Life and to make those choices that bring wisdom and richness to our lives. So let's pray, and then we'll read the text together and walk into it and ask God for wisdom. God, that's what we want. Um, there are some facts in this that we certainly need to pay attention to, but at the end of it, God, I pray that you would show us what wisdom is and how it will actually help guide us as we try to navigate the life that we have been given. So God, we pray above all that you would speak to us individually, knowing that you'll speak in different ways to each of us. And we want to say to you right now, open-handed, open-minded, open-hearted, speak, Lord, and guide. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's look at the text. We're in Mark chapter 10, and the text is really an incident that occurs when Jesus encounters a person who's a rich man. In Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, let me read the text to us, and then I'd just be interested in your comments. Uh, what word or phrase strike, stands out to you, all right? So just looking for you to share out loud. Here's a word that stuck out to me as we read it together. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Word or phrase struck out, stuck out to you as we were reading it together? What would it be? All things are possible with God. Pretty powerful right there at the end, right? What else? What did you notice? Pardon? He went away, and you said sad. He went away sad, right? What else? Everything. Everything. That's right. Jesus looked at him and loved him. <laughs> Don't you just love that? <laughs> Come and follow me. We are rich. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting question, isn't it? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Ah. <laughs> yeah. The disciples were amazed and even more amazed. I hope you have time as your small groups get together to unpack parts of this. I want to look at just a bit of it this morning, and all centered around that last phrase. It was actually the one uh, that you mentioned first. All things are possible with God. In fact, if you have a hard copy of the Bible, I just encourage you to just underline that phrase right there at the end of verse 27. All things are possible with God, because this is kind of the presenting truth um, that God wants us to live wisely around. And so I want us to spend some time looking at the character of what that is like. And here's what I want to do actually this morning. I want to talk about the subject, you know, what it means, all things are possible with God, the fine print, because you and I know that there's some fine print around that one, right? And after that, talk about real world application for it. And then how will we know if we're actually living it out? So those are the things I want to talk about. The basic subject, all things are possible with God, the fine print around it, real-world application to it, and then just an ability to assess whether we're actually living into it or not, all right? So first of all, let's look at the subject that Jesus is talking about here. And the subject is not, for example, NC2A basketball. You know, you say, all things are possible for God. I was praying that Mizzou would win yesterday. And, and they didn't, right? And the problem with that is there aren't enough people praying for Mizzou anymore. You know, once they went to SEC, it was like, over, we're done with you. Now, I'll have a few comments from a few of you, but not many of us are praying for Mizzou these days. But that's not what the subject matter is. It's not who's going to win a particular game, and all things are possible with God. We're going to have to look at the fine print on that one. But the subject here is actually twofold. The first thing is, it is a reference to the forgiveness of sins. And we've already talked about that. We covered that last week when Jesus said the Son of Man had to die, must die. And the forgiveness of sins is absolutely necessary and is the only means by which it's possible for us to have our sins forgiven. This rich young man actually says, what must I do? And he's off track right there. He's missed it. It's not what we must do. It's what Jesus Christ has done for him, will do. But what we celebrate that Jesus has done this, we do not earn God's favor and therefore get his approval. 
We don't have to work harder in order to get this thing called the forgiveness of sins and approval by God. It's something that he does. It is humanly impossible for those who have chosen a pathway of rebellion, those who have destroyed things in their own lives and the lives of others, to clean it up afterwards. It's something that Jesus has to walk in and remove on our behalf. It's the ice cream story we were talking about last week in regards to grace. So the subject is forgiveness of sins, and it's not humanly possible to do enough for that to happen. It is possible because all things are possible through him. But there's another part of this, and it's not just merely the forgiveness of sins that Jesus is addressing right here. It's also an ability to live a life that is filled with abundance of life to actually live as citizens in the kingdom of God, to live as the children of the Heavenly Father, to live in it. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, you know, you know, give everything away and then come and follow me. It's a life of following Jesus. And in the context of a life of following Jesus, Jesus says, all things are possible in that life. It means this, that there will be nothing that I will not have that allows me to live out everything he purposes for me to have. Everything he purposes for my life will be possible because I follow him and all things are possible with God. He will allow my life to be characterized by every single thing necessary for me to have. Fullness of life as he intended it to be, it begins now. Okay, so you say, okay, so what about the fine print? Because there must be some fine print here. I wanna mention three things that this doesn't mean. First of all, it doesn't mean that we stretch logic or that we defy logic. I remember when I was probably in elementary school, you know, it was kind of stump the pastor sort of a thing. You know, maybe, maybe you did this too and, and the pastor would say, the Bible says that, are all, that God can do everything. And, and I had some guy who nudged me and says, I wonder if that means God can create a rock too big for him to carry. <laughs> That's it. That's a gotcha. <laughs> and so we went up to the pastor and says, okay, so can, can God make a rock so big he can't carry it? <laughs> we got you. Well... You know, that was a great joke, uh, and it was kind of fun to think about for a little bit, but it was an absurd question, wasn't it? Can God do something he can't do? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Can God do something he can't do? You mean, you wonder if he can do something or he can't do something? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. that, one, that one just doesn't work. But the second aspect of the fine print is this, is that God doesn't do something that denies freedom that denies freedom for people. God says he does things that are humanly impossible, and you and I might be saying, hey, I know some humans that are impossible. Can God do something about impossible humans? Wouldn't that be great if God would do something about the impossible? Anybody have any impossible humans in their life? Yeah, wouldn't that be great, right? But he will not do anything that takes away his core commitment to let us have the freedom of choosing whatever it is we want. That's actually what leads to worship. When I choose by my own volition to worship God, 
It actually is worship. It means the other thing must be possible as well, too. And God will not step in as much as we might want him to. He will not step in and coerce, manipulate, force anybody to do anything. Because he made us, you actually get to make your own decision. And there's nobody around you that can pray in such a way that God will say, okay, prayers have been heard, sorry, I'm going to force you to do this. He will never do that. Think about our prayers. God, would you please cause so-and-so to do such and such? And God says, nope, my will not. We can say, God, would you please show them the implications of such and such? And he'll say, I'm all over that one. But just think in regards to the things that we pray for. And God does impossible things, and you say, it is impossible that they would actually open their eyes to see what is really true. No, 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 God does that. He just doesn't, he doesn't deny freedom. And then there's a third part of the fine print, and that is that he doesn't do things that will actually destroy his very purposes. His purpose is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. His purpose is to fill us with godly character. His purpose is for us to grow up into Christ-likeness. And so when we pray and ask him to do things that are humanly impossible, when we pray for things that actually would fulfill his purposes in our life and in the world we're in, he is all over that. But he won't go the other way. When God's purpose for my life is to learn to trust him more and I pray for shortcuts, won't do that one. You see, there's the fine print. There's really not much fine print. There really is not much fine print. The bold print is this. God does humanly impossible things. That's the bold print. And lest there be any question about his capacity to do that, we've already seen in the Gospel of Mark him raising people to life. We've seen him open blind eyes. We've seen him heal the lame. There's no question in regards to whether he can or do it, can do it. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. So then we say, okay, if that's true, and I've read the fine print, for those of us that are now still in the room, not wanting to trick, uh, defy logic, or, or to deny people their, 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 their free will, or to somehow truncate the character of the uh, kingdom of God, for those of us that are saying, God, this is what I want. I, might, I want my life to matter. I want my life to count. I want my life to be filled with the blessing, the riches that only you can provide. I want my life to have an influence in, the world, influence in the world that actually shapes it and brings your presence into play. I want my life to be that which changes the world for good. That's what I want. And then we hear Jesus saying this about God. God does even impossible things, for all things are possible with God. 
So how then does that happen for those of us who want to live a life where we can say the very same thing that Jesus did here? All things are possible for God. Well, there are really uh, um, some world ap- real-world applications that I, I want us to get to here, and they're really centered around two choices we make. And the one is, is a simply a choice to trust him. Think about this. For God to do what is humanly impossible, I must move beyond what is humanly possible. For God to do what is humanly impossible, I must move beyond what is humanly possible. And this is what he's asking the person with all of that wealth. I mean, he had a bank account full of possibilities and influence and capacity. And Jesus is not asking this rich young ruler, this this wealthy young man, uh, for his money. He's asking for his trust. You see, he's pointing at the very thing that he trusts the most instead of him. And he says, are you willing to take the thing that matters most in your life that you trust and put me in that place instead? This is about our most significant things. For him, it's about wealth because his wealth was the most significant thing he has. The text says, He had great wealth. It was his treasure. And Jesus was offering him treasure someplace else. He was offering him treasure in heaven. You ever heard that phrase, a bird in the hand is better than two? (laughs) Yeah, my grandma taught me that one. You know, what you got in your hand, that's the thing you should hang on to rather than hope for two in a bush, and Jesus is coming along, and, and he's just riding roughshod over that thought in, front, in regards to what is wisdom. He's saying, no, no, whatever you have in your hand that you hang on to as a means of trust, I'm actually asking you to give it up so that you might trust me. I had a friend of mine who was involved in uh, uh, the church we were involved in, in in the Milwaukee area a number of years ago. And he was executive for a large multinational uh, corporation. And one of the things that they did is is an element of their, their business was to extract the oils from hops uh, for breweries. And Milwaukee was one of those places. And this is big business, actually, to get these shipments of hops from different places in the world. And his organization would actually contract with these growers and these farms and, and corporations in other parts of the world and say, we, we, we commit to being able to extract at least X percent from your product. So you have some guarantees in regards to that. And uh, one particular week, he came uh, and, and hung out with me, and he said, Mark, I need to just tell you what just happened. There was this shipment that came, and I think it was from Brazil, 
and the hops was so, so heavy in, in, in oils, their extraction far surpassed any of their guarantees. And uh, I mean, there were, you know, this was a six-figure number that they were looking at as a windfall for their organization because just the way things were handled was, is yeah, we say we promise this and that's what you'll get. Uh, and there was just a sense that conventional wisdom was, and if we get less, we'll cover it. And by the way, if we get more, we benefit from it. And he sat down with the people he was involved in and he said, um, you know, I don't think we want to be that kind of a company that fails to write the six-figure check to that farm in Brazil. I don't think we want to be that company. Now, there were bonuses on the line. And he said, you know what? I don't think I want to be that kind of a person either. And he, he knew full well that his job, his reputation, his position in the organization was completely on the line. You see, what do you trust? What are you hanging on to? Am I willing to say, because I have surrendered to the one who will meet my needs, I trust you more than I trust what we can get from fudging that deal just a little bit. What does it mean for us to trust him? What does it mean? The one with much to lose in this story could not imagine the benefit of choosing a gain that he had no control over, but would just simply be in Christ's hands instead. Will I trust his purposes? And the second question is this, is will I serve his purposes? Because you see, these two actually think, these things are actually linked. He not only asked him to give away his wealth, he asked him to give away his wealth to those who had need, to give it to the poor. In your small groups, and you go through the small group study guide, Keller actually directs our attention and discussion to Mark chapter 12, where the person comes and says, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus actually links two texts together from the Old Testament that actually don't fit together. But he links the two of those scriptures together. He says, you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those things work together. In your trust for me, you act in such a way that advances my kingdom for others. In your trust for me, you act in such a way that advances my kingdom for others. Love God and love others. Do you see the beauty of both of those things being connected? Jesus is not calling us to mere self-denial because there are many ways that we can deny ourselves and act and feel like we're really holy. Look at me. I'm suffering. I'm denying myself. I'm trusting Jesus. It's not mere self-denial. It's loving God and it's loving others. It's self-denial it's relinquishment that actually translates into benefit for others. And on the other side of it, it's not mere how can we help the world. It's the worship that comes alongside of it. 
both of these things, love me and love the world. Your loving me should benefit the world. Your benefit to the world should be based on and rooted in worship and love for me. So this is what he is calling us to. This is actually what life application looks like. To trust him with the thing in my life that I am inclined to trust most on my own. And offer it over to him in such a way that it impacts the world around him. Now this ties in actually with um, what it will look like if we actually step into that. And I want to get to this third piece of it and say, how will I actually know, how will I actually know that I have listened to Jesus calling? I cannot actually have both. I cannot have Jesus and have the stuff that I trust instead of Jesus. I cannot. I cannot have Jesus and have the stuff that I trust instead of Jesus. Think of the things that are in that category. Is there a relationship you can't give up? Is there a confession you can't speak out loud? Is there a call to Christian stewardship you are still resisting? Is there a refusal to connect in deeper community with other people because you can't give up your independence? I mean, I throw those out there. I don't know what it is for you. I know what the challenges are for me. I know what, the tempta- I know what most of the temptations are for me. I'm trusting God will reveal all of them so I can say over and over again, and I give that one up, and I give that one up, and I give that one up. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. This is the posture in which Jesus wants us to live with him. He says it's the necessary way. There is no other way to live connected with Jesus than to be absolutely dependent upon him. So what does it look like? There are really three outcomes that will be evidence of the fact that we're actually living the life that Jesus wanted for us and the rich man walked away from. The first is this. My faith will benefit the people around me. The people around me will be glad that I'm a person of faith. Can you imagine what would have happened in this, if this man with wealth would have actually chosen the heavenly bank account and, and depleted his earthly bank account to give to the poor? Can you imagine what would have happened to the people in that community that needed resources? They would have said, thank God for that man's faith. It's the same thing in regards to love God and love your neighbor yourself. Neighbors are going to be really happy that we're people of faith. That's the first outcome that we know. I'm actually living this thing. The people around me are glad that I have faith in Jesus. The second aspect of this is an absolute dependency on God. When I give away all of the other things I depend on, guess where I find myself? I find myself on my knees begging God for help. In the prayer retreat this weekend, I was there on Friday evening, and there was just this really remarkable song. It was, I am desperate for you. How do I become desperate for him? Because I don't have anything else. Remember that old song, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee? Do you know how that happens? Because we need him. Because we put ourselves in a position where we absolutely need him. I think it's so easy for us in our, in our Christian walk to say, you know what, 
I really need to pray more. Ah, I just feel so bad. I just feel so bad. I don't spend enough time praying. What's wrong with me? I need to pray more. You know what the solution to that is? Trust, risk more. When I find myself risking more, I find myself myself praying more. When I discover that my prayer life is weak, my, my risk life is weak too. There's no place in which I'm hanging on to him because I'm managing it with all of the other stuff I trust instead of him. I trust him with my reputation, and so I beg God to preserve it. I trust him with my resources, so I beg God to provide it. I trust God, I trust God with this relationship, so I beg God to intervene on it. I trust God with my career, so I beg God to use it in such a way that will bring glory to him. It is such an easy indicator of whether I'm actually walking my life the way Jesus wants me to. How much time do I spend begging God and saying, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you. Jesus wants you and me to get to that place, not by feeling guilty about not doing it enough, but by being in a place in which doing it is necessary for survival. And then the third character trait is this. It's actually that we find ourselves worshiping (laughs) because we're praying, because we're asking God, because we're risking everything. And so then we are actually able to say these words, all things are possible with God, and I find myself filled with worship because I put myself in a place where it must be true or I have nothing. And then he sweeps in and he provides what I need. And I find myself saying, all things are possible with God. The indicators of me living this way instead of walking away like the rich young man is that my neighbors are really, really grateful that I'm a person of faith. That my faith drives me to my knees. And that my risk-taking leads me to worship. That's where God wants us to be. People around us applauding the fact that we're people of faith. Time in his presence, asking for his strength. And worship that starts in our toes and goes through our soul and comes out of our life in worship to God. So here's what I want you to do. My next step. Now's the time to pull it out. Daniel's going to come up and lead us in response of worship. And we just want you to take the time. You can fill out the other parts of this now. There might be something in regards to prayer. Uh, if in connection, you can take time for that. But the, the thing I want you to most focus on is this, is what might be wisdom for you? God, speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.